Hello, everybody, and welcome to the final episode of Inside the Hexagon. That's right. This is it. But alongside me for this final ride is my co-host, my faithful steed, or <laughs> is it right if I call you that, Josh? The, my faithful steed? That sounds like I'm riding you like a horse, but no. I am an MMA fan, so I'm going to have to look up what steed means. That but means for horse. Now, okay, that means okay. horse. <laughs> It's fine I'm by me. With the, I'm going with the whole riding off into the sunset. Thing. I'm sure you've called me worse privately, so why not? <laughs> hey, they weren't supposed to tell you that. Anyways, well, Josh, thank you for joining me. I, you know, and and before we get too deep into this, thank you for joining me throughout this. We started all the way back in July of 2020, and here we are uh, in March, at the end of March of 2022, and uh, you know, it's 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 been fun, man. I saw a lot of strike force that I had actually never seen before. Before. And uh, now you you and I can both say that we've watched every uh, <laughs> every major Strike Force event. We are Strike Force historians, Strike Force experts, and you know we talked a lot of pro wrestling along the way, and and really have enjoyed ourselves. But thank you, Josh, for all the time and all the effort and all the research and everything that you've you've brought to the show. Just don't forget about me, Phil, when Ariel Hawani brings you on his show to talk yeah. about this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> you j- don't forget to mention my name. I, I okay? will try to mention you, uh, uh, jo- Josh out of Santa Barbara, right? That, that's, it, that's just what we'll say. Exactly. But just, just real briefly, I remember when you launched this podcast and I kind of reached out to you and said, hey, I know a little bit about Strike Force. I used to work for them. And it was really cool. You were my like my... Uh, uh, long lost brother. I didn't know I had <laughs> yeah. because you, we didn't even know we were working this... for him <laughs> <laughs> and you were doing the same stuff I was doing and we were just kind of in these separate worlds. So it was so cool to meet somebody who was doing a lot of the same work and then be able to li- relive this stuff. I don't think there's anyone else that you and I could have done this with because we're, we, we knew it so well from the inside. Uh, you might have people who know MMA differently, but nobody knew Strike Force like we did. So this has been an amazing experience. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a lot of fun. I think it's something that uh, we can look back on and be proud of. And, and I really do hope that someday the show gets really quote unquote discovered. I, I think it would make a, an excellent companion piece for like UFC fight pass for, you know, strike force fans or something along those lines. But we've obviously we've put in hours and hours and hours of time and research and editing and, you know, everything else. And, and so I, I uh, don't forget, I, don't forget the fine print, Phil. 50-50 on any money we make off this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wait by your phone. Uh, but I did want to mention uh, to all the fighters, we had so many great fighters uh, and and reporters and different people that took the time to be on the show. I'll, I'll mention a few of them. I don't want to mention, of course, I'm making the, the mistake of mentioning a few of them when there's a, a bunch that I'm going to not be able to mention. But, uh, you know, Scott Coker, Gilbert, Melen- Gilbert Melendez, Javier Mendez, Bobby Southworth, uh, uh, John John Nash, Frank Shamrock was on multiple times. Joe Riggs, George Santiago, Gorgeous George Garcia, Kung Lee, Anthony Figueroa, Trevor Prangley, Frank Trigg. I'm just going to mention them all. Babalu, Pat Militich, Ben Folks, uh, Scott Smith, Hands of Steel, Jake Shields, Ron Foster from Shine Fights. That was a sleeper episode. I hope that you check that out. But KJ Noons, uh, Rob Hyder from EA. He was a uh, part of making the EA Sports MMA game. Miguel Iterati, uh, who was part of, uh, uh, he, he basically helped book a little bit of the, uh, some of the early shows. Rich Chow, of course, Tim Kennedy, John Morgan from MMA Junkie, uh, Josh 
podcast, you interviewed your good friend Eric Fontanez from MMA Weekly. He was on King Mo. Uh, and then, of course, Gil and Josh Thompson were on at the same time. And then Nate Marcourt and then Ryan Couture was our final fighter ep- uh, ep- interview episode. So just appreciative of everybody that took the time to, to come on the show. But basically, what we're going to be doing today, uh, while the, you know we feel like the promotion ended on something of a sour note, we're going to talk about the highlights. We're going to talk about we kind of went through the the various events and picked out some of the top moments. And so uh, these are in chronological order, not necessarily in order of exciting or you know excitement or anything like that. But we've also got some surprises. We've got some audio clips that were sent in uh, that we're going to pepper throughout this show. And then also at the end, we're going to wrap it up with really the I, I just I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's a more fitting way to wrap this up. But Scott Coker, he was on the the very first uh, interview episode uh, we, we covered Shamrock versus Gracie and then Scott was our, our first, uh, our first guest. And then he's our last guest. We, I spoke with him earlier today as we record this. Uh, and I was able to, to spend about 20 minutes with him talking about what strike force meant to him. It was his baby. We talked a little bit about what it was like going into that last uh, event, but then also he talked about the, the fights that really stand out in his mind and really what strike force's legacy is. And so uh, again, just don't know that there's a more fitting way to close this out. So I'm looking forward to that, but Josh, if you're ready, let's go ahead and jump in and let's let's go through some of these highlights you ready to go i'm ready phil all right let's do it so i really and we've talked about this josh but really i i don't know that there was a better bigger moment for strike force than the very first strike force mma event as i've mentioned before i went to the very last strike force kickboxing event it was at the uh, the 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 hp pavilion the shark tank uh the and it was it was a much smaller crowd i was the only member of the media that was there that night and to go from that to the next year when they were able to get mma legalized and scott coker was a big part of getting it legalized had been he'd been pushing for that for a couple years and to go to the first mma event and by the way uh, Scott mentions it in his interview. He still remembers the attendance from that night, 18,265 fans, myself and my brother-in-law, Matt were there. And it was just, I, I don't, you know, having Frank Shamrock return for to MMA for the first time in three years and to kind of like a, even though it wasn't televised, it was, you know, a, a major show for the first time since he'd left the UFC. It, it was just such a huge night and, and, and strike force never broke 18,000 again. So it was really a, a huge, huge night. So to me, I, I, I actually kind of think it's, it's strike force's biggest highlight, which is kind of a bummer when your first show is the biggest show that you do. But yeah, Josh, what, 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 any memories or anything you want to mention on that? Well, I just think that it's even more impressive that it was not televised. It didn't have national TV. It wasn't something that was full of all of this promotion. It was just something that was big in the Bay area and in San Jose. And it, showed how powerful this brand was that so many people are into it. And you had the Shamrock name, you had the Gracie name, these worlds collide. This was Hulk Hogan and Madison Square Garden versus the Iron Sheik. This was the moment. And yeah, I mean, you only go downhill after this because this moment was amazing. I mean, think of it. Nobody was covering MMA. Nobody was covering any of this stuff. And if they were, they certainly were covering any other promotion other than the UFC. So this was a, just a huge thing. And thank God it was so big because it gave birth to Strike Force. If they had had a dud, we're not here talking about the promotion. Very true. Very true. And, and uh, Frank Shamrock was obviously a massive part of the early years of Strike Force, the first several years 
of Strike Force, so you're going to hear his name a lot early on in this episode. And really, the next event I want to mention was Shamrock versus Baroni. This is one of my all-time favorite, not just fights for Strike Force, but it was really Strike Force's first real feud. I mean, Caesar Gracie and and Frank Shamrock. You know, Shamrock versus Gracie is something that's been around uh, with Ken and uh, and Hoist, of course, and they revisited that later on. But you know that that was kind of a manufactured feud. Shamrock versus Baroni. I mean, they got on YouTube and made videos about each other, and uh, it it was it just made such an entertaining build. Frank was just so good at talking people into the building. He could have definitely done pro wrestling if he had wanted to, and it was really Strike Force's first real feud. And then on that card, we also saw the 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 genesis of of Kung Lee's MMA career as well. So uh, another huge moment that's worth mentioning as well. Yeah, and how can we forget Frank Shamrock? signaling that he's going to put Phil yeah. Baroni to sleep <laughs> and then he puts him to sleep, you know, yeah. it's just, so... <laughs> Oh man. I love it. It's just one of my, it's one of the, my most favorite fights to watch. I just, I enjoyed that so much. Uh, but then we saw strike force go a little bit of a different direction. They did their only one night men's tournament. They did do a, a, an all female one night tournament on a challengers card that I believe Misha, Misha Tate once, but, or, uh, I'm sorry. I believe that Misha Tate won. Uh, but this was the only main card main event, uh, one night tournament. They did four men enter one man survives. And we saw two pretty, pretty blistering finishes from George Santiago. He knocked out Sean Salmon with a, it was looked like a flying knee, but if you watch, it was kind of a flying shin to the neck. And, and it was actually a really scary, uh, knockout Sean was down for a while. And then he went on and beat, uh, uh, Tre- Trevor Prangley who had bested Falonico Vitale, uh, earlier. And, and so he won that one night tournament. And so you got to get, and he got a beautiful, beautiful belt, uh, from it as well. And it's still, I, if you haven't already, make sure you check out my interview with him, but he sent me a picture of that belt and I'm like, man, I really want that someday. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, that was a good night as well. All right. I want to th- toss to our first clip. The man himself, El Wapo, Boss Rutten, who was able to commentate a bunch of Strike Force events and was a big supporter of uh, some of the fighters that came in. He helped, He well, I, I won't give it away, but he talked about a big-name fighter that he helped sponsor, and uh, he, he brought a lot to the promotion, even if he was never officially on staff. Uh, so with, without further ado, let's, let's hear a little bit from Boss Rutten. Boss Rutten here and my favorite Strike Force moment. Wow, that's a hard one. Many great moments. Frank Shamrock versus Caesar Gracie starting it off on that same card. Look at these names. Clay Gida, Josh Thompson, Kong Lee, Gilbert Melendez, Nate Diaz. All household names right now. And look at these other names. Overeem, Henderson, Rockhold, Chris Cyborg, Kunin, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey and Daniel Cormier. My man. This guy, I remember, we shot an inside MMA show from Strike Force at one time and we wanted to interview him before the fight like an hour before the fight well no problem he just did it and then of course he went on to beat his opponent and later went on to win the strike force tournament what i love about dc is that he never changed a bit now if i have to pick a personal one I sponsored this lady who came to Strike Force because I saw her fight and train. Complete animal. She was fighting with the Boss Root and Jump logo on her shorts. I love it. She won by knockout, ladies and gentlemen. That was Amanda Nunes. Look at that. What a great show. All right. Thank you, boss. I appreciate that. That was awesome to hear. Thank you for taking the time to do that. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed that as well. But let's get back to the highlights. So the next one. Strike Force Shamrock versus Lee. It drew over 16,000 fans and was really seen as a passing of the torch 
from Frank Shamrock to Kung Lee. I mean, we talk about the Battle of the Bay, but this was the Battle of the South Bay. This was San Jose, which was Frank Shamrock. I mean, was a, just a, a, almost like a rock star in in San Jose. Uh, uh, Scott Coker in the interview later on, you'll hear him talk about trying to walk around San Jose with Frank, and just it, it was just crazy how the amount of attention they got. But Kung was this, you know, kind of new star and guy on the rise, and and he had won a bunch of fights to get. Uh, you know, get a shot at, at Frank Shamrock. And I believe this was the fight where Frank wore a San Jose Sharks jersey to the cage. And Scott actually goes into a good amount of detail on this fight and just talked about the electric atmosphere and, and, and all of that. And it was when we watched this, it, that really translated over, uh, you know, over over the UFC fight pass. You could just see how exciting it was. And Kung Lee put on a, a performance for the ages and broke Frank's arm and, and, and ended up getting the big win. But this was definitely a milestone mo- moment for strike force yeah i was cage side uh for this oh you ev- were there for that for this event and okay I was, yeah i was sitting next to dave Meltzer, so i had a couple of memories there because as a yeah. wrestling fan i was like whoa it's dave Meltzer." um yes i was uh marking out for somebody <laughs> but for a journalist um so so uh this was an amazing moment and um, I was living in San Jose at this time. And for people who don't understand, there was so much energy in this building. This was unreal. This was culture inside. This was not just sports. San Jose has a huge Vietnamese American yep. population. So when Kung Lee came to the hexagon, it wasn't just that here's this really rising star kickboxer who's going to go against Frank Shamrock. It was... This guy who was representing the Vietnamese community, we're talking about 100,000 people who are Vietnamese living in the city of San Jose of a million people. So like 10% of the population, it was a huge Kung Lee crowd. So he was like Rocky. He was the hero. He was the star. But at the same time, you had half the arena who were Frank Shamrock fans and they were so behind Frank Shamrock. And then Shamrock comes in with that swag with the San Jose Sharks jersey and he had talked so much he made it seem like Kung Lee had no shot here and it was just a tremendous fight and uh I, I remember it very remember hearing the the, the kick right and, and yeah. knowing it was over and Dave Meltzer was next to me and he was typing a million miles an hour and I was like watching the fight and he's like you know what happened and then you know they stopped it in the corner and uh, Frank could not continue and it was, it was it was a great moment it was kind of sad too it was it was the it was the consummate passing of the torch sad for Frank Shamrock because he was this legend happy for Kung Lee because he was a good guy who was able to win the championship but that that was a great moment it wasn't 18,000 but the energy in that room was off the chart yeah it was 16,000 so it was uh strike force's second biggest ever crowd and it, yeah definitely an amazing event uh but this would actually set up the table for what would end up being the end of, of frank shamrock's mma career next was strike force shamrock versus diaz drew 15,000 fans and again this was the end of the legend and as well as the establishing of nick diaz as really a bona fide main event star not just a guy that would talk a lot of smack but a guy that could perform at that level and, and it really 
was another kind of passing of the torch, not for San Jose, but I felt like there is, and, and in the pre-fight buildup, they kind of talked about this, but Shamrock saw a lot of himself as a younger man that was angry at the world and all that in Nick and, and, and kind of tried to, I, I not say teach him a lesson, but, but wanted to, you know, wanted to kind of do that. And Diaz just beat him down. I mean, just beat him up. And that was, that was the end of Frank's career, but that was, uh, you know, obviously a big event. We also saw just, a, an absolute war between Scott Smith and Benji Raddick. It's one of those mm. ones where you walk away going, man, I don't know if I should morally have enjoyed what I just saw. <laughs> Cause it just, that was brutal. And then of course, I mean, the only thing that really mattered to you on this card, Josh was this was Luke, <laughs> Luke Rockhold fighting for the first time on a major strike force event, even though he was on the undercard, this was the first time we, he'd been on a, you know, a tent pole event. So uh, a lot, a lot to this card, a lot that makes it stand out as a milestone, you know, big crowd, 15,000 fans there. So once again, this was, this was the, the peak for strike force. This, these, uh, first couple two, first two, three years, this is when strike force was really really at its peak yes phil luke rockhold is the most aesthetically pleasing mma <laughs> fighter of all time uh we've, <laughs> we've talked about that uh yeah uh it was so sad you know i talk about it sad to see shamrock lose against kung lee against uh, nick diaz he was even sadder because it was so one-sided and frank yeah. didn't really have anything diaz just kind of peppered him and put him away and diaz was set, settling the score for the whole gracie feud and gracie family so it was a sad night but everything turns around not to talk about the ufc but then we saw nick diaz have the same thing done to him to robbie lawler you know last year it's just like everything comes around uh but but yeah, great, you know, beginning of Nick Diaz, and obviously he'd go on to do great things. And Scott Smith and Benji Raddick, that was just like back and forth, back and forth. You think Scott Smith's done, he's not, he comes back, and just yeah, great, great show all around. Yeah. All right, the next one Strike Force Carano versus Cyborg. This this might be in some ways it is the most important Strike Force event that ever happened because it was the first major MMA event globally to be headlined by women. Uh, they drew nearly 14,000 fans to the shark tank and really strong ratings on Showtime as well. And Scott Coker again, talks about this some during the interview that you'll hear in, in just a little bit, but talks about uh, Gina wanting cyborg, wanting cyborg. This is not a situation where, uh, you know, a lot of times during Cyborg's career, she's had trouble getting quality opposition. And some sometimes that's because of her weight class at 145 pounds. 135 is definitely the more marquee division for the ladies. But uh, this was a very, very important event because it proved that women could draw, which meant that promoters would be more likely to get past their own biases or whatever and be willing to to put them on. So that was this was a really, really important event. I was there for this one. I believe, Josh, you were there as well, if I remember correctly. I was not there for, oh, you were not for there. this yeah. event, no. All right, so you were there for Shamrock Lee. I was there for Corona Cyborg. And it, the the atmosphere was electric. It was amazing. Uh, just, just huge. Just a huge, huge, big fight feel for sure. And the ladies delivered. It was a very entertaining fight. Uh, Cyborg, I believe, won with one second left in the first round. And Corona had, had, had Mount and had her in trouble a couple times. But... Uh, uh, it was definitely a, a great fight. We also on that card saw Gegard Musassi. Fought, he fought for the first time in both the U.S. and Strike Force, and he captured the Strike Force light heavyweight title. 
and uh, was never able to defend the belt, but he's gone on to obviously one of the best kind of middle light heavy careers that we've ever seen in MMA. But this was a massive event all the way around. Apparently, Mike Aframowitz was having us alternate events. Couldn't yeah, have yeah, us in the yeah, same yeah, place apparently. at the same apparently. time. Yeah, no, this is a historic card. Uh, Gina Carano took a beating, but she was tough. Her and her dimples <laughs> survived the show, and uh, Cyborg became this big star. It's just like this, just this, you know, axe murderer going in there and just uh, crushing Gina Carano. But Gina Carano was uh, so game and fought her so well and did so much better than a lot of future fighters would do against her. So this was like women's mma was successful so we could have more of it so yeah good good call this was a great important event another very important event was strike force fedor versus rogers it marked the strike force debut of fedor emilianenko the last emperor the man that dana white could never sign in fact recently in an article dana was talking about or an interview dana was talking about uh, hope, being hopeful that he'd be able to sign Francis Ngannou, the UFC heavyweight champion, to a long-term contract. And he even brought up Fedor. He said, you know, basically saying the only one I've ever been able to get was Fedor, so I feel like we'll be able to get something done. So even today, he Dana's still still mentioning that, he, you know, Fedor, the, you know, the Ahab, white whale, you know, whatever analogy that you want to use there. But uh, it was a big deal. This was also Strikeforce's debut on CBS, and it drew an average uh, viewership of just over 4 million, which is, which is really good. And if strike force, uh, had been able to stay on CBS and if Fedor, had, <laughs> <laughs> if, if strike force Nashville had never happened and, uh, they were able to stay on CBS and maybe if Fedor had won another fight or two, you know, with the cover, we might be having a different conversation today. Uh, but we're, we're, we're not, but this was still a, a very big highlight for strike force for sure. Yeah. Thank you, Jake Shields. No, I'm sorry. Uh, I guess Mayhem Miller's to blame there too. Uh, I love the show. This is one of my top memories for sure. Only because Brett, the grim Rogers, who turned out to be not a very good guy at this time was kind of a rising star. He hit yeah. really hard. He was intimidating. He was tough. He was on a roll. And also they... kind of humble at the same time. He wasn't like a big smack talker and kind of knew who he was. You know, he's just a, a hardworking dude. But, yeah, he was definitely still yeah. on the rise. Yeah, definitely. And then they put him in the hexagon with Fedor. And <laughs> we're like, oh, my goodness. And what we saw later happen to Fedor, we could have saw on this night on national television because Brett Rogers put a beating on him. And then Fedor did what he does best. He came back from behind against the bigger guy and pulled the rabbit out of the hat, the miracle punch, and he sent Brett Rogers flying across the canvas, and it was over. And it was like, wow, this is why they call this guy the last emperor. This is why he was the best heavyweight for a decade and probably still the best heavyweight of all time. I don't care what Dana White says. He was amazing. And my goodness, to, to some degree, whereas the original show was Strike Force's greatest moment, this might have been the time when Strike Force was the most popular on a national level. Four million viewers is nothing to sneeze at, and they got a lot. And of course, they weren't able to sustain it because the, the 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 MMA gods were not on their side. But God, this was a great fight. I I loved watching Fedor come back and win this fight. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, another guy that was really well known for, for, you know, miracles and coming from behind was hands of steel, Scott Smith. And he took the time to send in a clip and talk about actually kind of an interesting highlight that something I, I wasn't even really aware of. And so uh, without further ado, let's get to, to Mr. Smith's clip. Hey, this is Scott hands of steel Smith. My favorite strike force memory is the couple celebrity golf tournaments we used to do. It was a lot of fun, man. It was all the all the fighters hanging out. Uh, everybody was kicked back. No, all egos aside, we had a good time. I remember Cormier, Shamrock, uh, Luke Rockhold, all those boys. We had a good time. My favorite fight, though, would be my very first Strike Force fight against uh, Terry Martin. Took the fight off of like four weeks notice, had a broken hand, and went in there and won the fight like 23 seconds. So I uh, wasn't expecting that to happen. So that's got to be my favorite strike force fight. All right. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate you sending that in. And, and again, interesting insight. Wasn't aware that strike force was doing charity golf tournaments or that sort of thing. So uh, pretty, pretty cool to hear from, from Scott there, but all right. Next highlight we want to mention is strike force evolution. This was the setting for the miracle in San Jose, Scott hands of steel utilized those hands of steel long enough to TKO Kung Lee, despite getting beat for what 90 to 95% of the fight. Uh, this is one of Josh, is this your favorite, like, like single highlight in strike force? Like, was this, was this your, 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 was this yours right here? I don't know why this isn't number one. This yeah. is number one <laughs> because we're going chronologically. So, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it actually is number one. Yeah, no, I'm just go. kidding. Reverse countdown. This, I mean, I love the Fedor moment. There's lots of moments that I really love, but I remember just jumping out of my lazy boy chair watching this as Scott Smith just rallied. And it was so cool to watch because Kung was doing his Kung Lee thing, which is throwing a million kicks in the first round and then gassing up. And Scott was just rope-a-doping him. He was taking it all. He was waiting. And then Kung Lee got tired. He got tired toward the second half of round two. And Kung, or Scott Smith started to land. And by the third round, you're thinking, holy crap, uh, the Patriots might actually come back and beat the Falcons <laughs> here in the Super Bowl. I mean, it was that much of a comeback. It was like this credible fourth-quarter rally. And... Scott Smith just clocked him and he hit him. And then it, the way it ended too is he knocked him out. He's on top of him, right? And the, it's, they stop it. And then Kung, or sorry, Scott Smith just kind of puts his hands up, you know, and falls. It's such a relief for him to have this. And the reason I love this too, it's just a great metaphor for life. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the favorite. Come on, you preach. Can, you can still you can still win if you work hard, if you work smart, and you hang in there, and you have a lot of passion and will, and that's what Scott Smith did. He he, obviously a better all around fighter, but on this night, Scott Smith kicked his butt and exposed him, and. Kung Lee was never the same. And I just love that story for sports. And I love that story for life. And 
Scott Smith, to me, he's like Stone Cold. You know, he's like a tough dude. He's going to be one of the legends. He's one of my all-time favorites. Well, it, the the event drew quite well. A lot of other people were interested in this well as well. Nearly 15,000 fans in attendance at the Shark Tank. So it was a big deal. We also saw the second fight of the trilogy between Josh Thompson and Gilbert Melendez. I think this was the best fight of the three. Gilbert took back his title uh, in a just a, a very, very strong, dominant performance. It was really... It just to me, it was the most entertaining of the three. It was really, really good. Uh, I really enjoyed it, and and this that so that was a big part of this one as well. Then we saw Strike Force Miami, and perhaps not a great card overall, but perhaps the greatest knockout in Strike Force history. I mean, we should mention that this was also uh, where Herschel Walker made his MMA debut in a pretty boring fight, but <laughs> uh, but we saw. Perhaps, I mean, definitely top three, if not the greatest knockout in Strike Force history, as ruthless Robbie Lawler survived Melvin Manov's onslaught before turning his lights out with two brutal punches. I believe, if I remember correctly, that those were the only two punches that Lawler hit <laughs> that yeah. he landed in the fight. But he was just get his leg, like the leg kicks that he was eating, and it just he was getting torn apart with leg kicks, and just Manov was just using his kickboxing, and then. Uh, he just, he got a little wild and, and Lawler went ruthless on him and caught him and is just eyes rolling back in the head. And just, I mean, absolutely brutal. One of the greatest knockouts, uh, in strike force history, if not MMA history. Yeah. You said it. I mean, the, the Melvin Manhoff, his, his brain left his body. I mean, yeah. he knocked him silly and he, he, I don't. I mean, that state of being that you're in, you're just caught between consciousness and unconsciousness, and it looked terrible. But what a comeback for Robbie Lawler. Great, great highlight. If you if you don't have a strong stomach, though, for this stuff, yeah, don't watch it. It's it, a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we want to toss it to uh, one of the principal characters in Strike Force, especially during the, the middle years, Rich Chow. He was the matchmaker uh, for, for Pro Elite, for Elite XC, and then he just established a relationship with, with Scott Coker, and Scott ended up bringing him in uh, right around the time of uh, the, the, I think it was June uh, 2010, I want to say, maybe 2011. Uh, but it was basically the the Jake Shields, Robbie Lawler, the first card that featured the Elite XC fighters that had been ported over. And so Rich talks about the, the, the genesis of his involvement with the promotion in this clip. So uh, without further ado, let's get to Rich. Hey, what's up, guys? Rich Chow checking in with my most memorable Strike Force moment. Um, you know, what? Uh, very tough decision as there were many, but I got to say, uh, I'm going to take it back to the beginning for me. Um, Lawler versus Shields, June 2009 in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And the reason why this was such a memorable event for me um, is because it was my first Strike Force event. You know, first Strike Force event working uh, with the promotion, coming in, joining the team. And it was the uh, the beginning of a epic run for me personally and professionally, and um, and I think uh, uh, the beginning of a moment that that uh, I strongly feel was very impactful for the entire MMA industry as a whole, um, with Strike Force uh, con contributing in the many ways that it did. So, yeah, that's my most memorable moment, taking it back to the beginning. 
All right. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate your insights. That was pretty cool. All right, let's move on. Not exactly a highlight. In fact, this would be probably the only low light that we have mentioned on here. There were, you know, there were some down moments for sure. It's, uh, none bigger than strike force Nashville probably because it got them kicked off of CBS, but this was, this is a close second. And this is something that again, Scott Coker mentions in his interview that you'll hear in just a little bit, but Strike Force Fedor versus Verdun. We saw the legend of Fedor come crumbling down as Fabricio Verdun submitted the last emperor in front of just under 12,000 fans in only 69 seconds. And to, to understand and, and to appreciate how big of a deal this was, I mean, Fedor had not lost had never lost legitimately. His only loss was on a cut that was really questionable. Uh, and it had been over 10 years. I mean, he had just mowed through guys, but really truthfully, Josh, you and I discussed this when we talked about the Fedor versus Rogers uh, episode when we did that um, all you know all these months ago. But that was where we really started to see kind of the first chinks in the armor of Fedor. I mean, it, you know, he was getting beat up by a guy that we you know he should have just walked through or yeah. would have just walked through. And so on this night, uh, Fedor, you know, it's early on in the fight; nobody's sweating yet. Fedor does what he does and dives into Verdun's guard and Verdun is a, you know, a Abu Dhabi champion and, and one of the best grapplers in MMA history and tied him up in that, you know, in that, uh, that, that triangle. And you and I, Josh, we saw Fedor's head turning red and then purple and then Fedor tapped out. And it was just, again, Coker talks about it in the interview, but it was just a kind of a hushed roar. <laughs> it was, it got so quiet in there and uh some we knew that something major had really happened and he broke both our heart our hearts on that night didn't he i was so sad i mean i literally wanted to cry uh most of the time when somebody wins there's cheering i was in the building when when, when this happened people were like wait was there a mistake yeah like did the referee or the Fedor doesn't lose? Fedor yeah. doesn't lose. Are they going to stand them up? It, it was mind boggling. It was just all the air left the building and people were just stunned. They couldn't believe that he lost. Like, the, could, no, he didn't tap. They're, they're, that doesn't make sense. That can't compute. And so this was a horrible show as far as I was concerned. Yeah. I love Fedor. And, uh, and you also love Scott Smith, and, and Kung Lee got revenge against Scott Smith on the same card. This is a rough night for you, for sure. Yes, I'm still going to therapy to talk about. <laughs> no, uh, as it would turn out, Fabricio Verdun would become one of the best MMA heavyweights of all time. It's no shame that Fedor lost to him. It's just too bad that he lost so early in his strike force run. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to talk about Scott Smith. That was another sad. Yeah, kind of a rough one for you. Uh, but let's move on. Strikeforce Henderson versus Babalu 2. This is not really an important card, but for pure entertainment value, it's tough to beat this one. Four knockouts on the main card, including Robbie Lawler nearly, nearly killing Matt Lindland in one of the most rewatchable knockouts uh, in Strikeforce history. Bigfoot Silva turned out Mike Kyle's lights. Paul Daly, another another rough Scott Smith night for, for Josh here, but Paul Semtex daily put Scott Smith absolutely to sleep with a one punch walk, knockout walkaway knockout. Scott went face first down into the mat and he was out. And then Dan Henderson just absolutely just blitzed Bob Lou Sobral with punches in the main event. So it was 
one of one of the shortest cards for you and me, Josh, to to review because there just wasn't a whole lot to him. I think only one of the fights went to the second round. So uh, for entertainment value, while it wasn't the most important card for entertainment value, pretty tough to beat that uh, Henderson versus Babalu two card. This is the last episode we're doing, Phil. Can you just confess? What is your problem with Scott Smith? I love, dude. (laughs) So I have so much respect for Scott Smith. I really do. My, I don't have any sort of beef with him. I think he was a guy that he had his talent level took him to a certain point. uh, But it got kind of frustrating to watch him in his last you know, a few fights, like no evolution as a fighter, no head movement. I mean, he was just getting, and that, that fight against uh, Lumumba Sayers was just embarrassing. I mean, he got picked up and basically thrown around and then tapped out to a choke to, I mean, to a, a guy who had like a fraction of the fights that Scott Smith had. So yeah, I, I've, I got a little, I, I don't have a beef with him, but I, I, <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I guess I've expected more and I was disappointed with the, the last several fights of his career. Yeah, uh, the Kung Lee, we knew Kung Lee was going to exact revenge. Uh, Paul Daly knocks, he either knocks you out or he taps out. <laughs> Since yeah, that's or, the only or, outcome. Or, gets, or, or uh, survives a, a decision because you wrestle him yeah. and hold him down the whole time. But yeah. So, but we knew going in that Scott Smith was in big trouble. But yeah, this was a great show, great knockouts, and um, I was over my Scott Smith stuff by then. I, you kind of, you kind of knew he was going to lose to Paul Daly, but not a night of knockouts and guys like Dan Henderson on the show—it's a big deal for Strikeforce. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to I want to uh, toss it to Errol Helwani, one of the if not the I, I mean, to me, is the top MMA reporter out there. Uh, but, you know, the MMA hour, you know, a long run with ESPN and just a, a really, really good guy. He took the time to record uh, a, a nice little clip for us that talks about the booking strategy behind Strikeforce and what really made them stand out. So without further ado, let's get to Ariel. Strikeforce was a phenomenal promotion and everyone remembers it very well. And I think when people remember it and think back on its great legacy, they think back to the last few years when they got on Showtime and they were producing these big events and the Grand Prix and all that stuff. But when I think of the magic of Strike Force, I think of an event that I went to in 2008. It was headlined by Henato Babalu Sobral versus Bobby Southworth, who trained in the Bay Area at AKA. And this was an HD Net Fights event on a Friday night, uh, you know, a, a sort of regional-ish show, if you will, at the time. And I remember uh, being there to cover it for MMARated.com, Long May It Live, and it was a full house. And, you know, the event was fine. It was you know, two former UFC guys um, fighting for the light heavyweight title. Uh, Strike Force wasn't on Showtime or anything like that at the point. At that point, and and when the event was over, I thought, all right, it was over. But then, right after the main event ended, somewhat unceremoniously, two local kickboxers who at the time were like zero and one slash one and zero against each other in MMA, but I competed um, in uh, in kickboxing primarily, came out and the place went insane. The place. I mean, everyone, it was very clear that everyone was there to see these two guys. And that's when I realized the brilliance and the, uh, the magic of Strike Force. You know, they had the fights and the events that catered to people outside of the Bay Area. But why it was so successful was because they knew how to book for that area. And they would have local stars that meant nothing to people outside of California and NorCal to be specific. Um, 
But that's how they sold the tickets. That's how they got the word out. That's how they, you know, packed the arenas. Uh, and I thought that was brilliant. I really did. And even when they would go to other um, locations, they would fill up the undercard with these local people. They would sell the tickets. And then the main card would be, you know, for the uh, the rest of the country, the rest of the world. Um, and I think that's a, a blueprint that isn't used often. And I think it could be a successful one. Witness the fact what happened to uh, Strike Force over the years. So that's uh, a memory that I'll always remember about when I really came to realize and learn how special the Strike Force model was. All right. Thank you, Ariel. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to send that in. I really, that was cool insight. Like that's something Josh, you and I have talked about before that strike force. One of the things that made them stand out uh, and especially having such a strong base in the Bay area was selling tickets are based around having local fighters on the card. I mean, you, we talked about 14, 15, 16, 18,000 fans, you know, in attendance and at, at the shark tank. And you know, that's where you loaded up with guys from the Bay area and it was a really yeah. smart booking strategy for them. And so I appreciate, Ariel kind of calling that out. All right, next uh, next event we want to mention. We were just talking about Paul Daly, but Strikeforce Diaz versus Daly featured perhaps the best run one round fight in Strikeforce history as Nick Diaz and Paul Daly put on a back and forth battle that drew high praise from fans and the media. Daly had Diaz seemingly in trouble at one point, had him on his back and put him down. And uh, this was the first time Nick had really shown. Uh, any sort of vulnerability inside of strike force. And, and so this was a, a big deal at that point. And Daly had the champ in trouble, but Diaz was able to come back. And then it was kind of a, I don't remember if you, I don't know if you remember it, Josh, but kind of a weird, like delayed knockout, like Nick caught uh, Daly right at the end of the first round. I think they stopped it with a second left, if I remember correctly, but Daly kind of like took the shot and then kind of like, like, turned into a fish a little bit and and like threw like kind of threw himself backwards and he was hurt but it was kind of a delayed movement so it's not the smoothest finish in strike force history but just such a great back and forth battle and both guys really showed their chops and and i really enjoyed this fight and it was a big deal i remember when we rewatched this not remembering how great of a round that was and just watching that round i mean like this is the best round in strike force history this so good back and forth and all these punches these great strikers and wow nick diaz was so good at this this part of his career just be able to dismantle paul daly like that absolutely all right the next uh, next highlight and we're actually we've only got a few left and this is where you know things really started to kind of go downhill uh diaz versus daily took place in april of 2011 and it's not until march of 2012 that we have an event that we're going to highlight here and it just kind of shows it doesn't mean there were no good fights or anything like that but at this point the zufa purchase uh, i believe had gone through and things were just not they were never the same after that and so there's just not as much there's only a few events left that we felt were worth highlighting but one of those is strike force tate versus rousey marked the main event debut of both ronda rousey and misha tate in a blood feud that established rowdy as a bona fide star that strike force could have potentially really built around uh this was a big deal that you know this was the first main event uh that we had seen where you know it was the ladies in the main event for strike force and I mean, I don't know that there was any more hatred in a feud than there was Ronda and Tate. And even today, I feel like if they ran into each other, a fight would break out. Uh, and it was just super, super well built. And it was really kind of like the last big feud for strike force. And I, I wish that, you know, the ladies could have come along earlier and maybe things would have been a little bit different, but uh, this was a huge event. It didn't draw 
huge unfortunately it did draw good ratings for showtime but at this point the you know the sail, the ship had sailed and strike force was on the downslope but these ladies did put on a really really entertaining i say fight because it was under a minute but uh built build up and and feud and and so this this was a big deal it showed that the ladies were still a a marketable feature so to speak within the promotion yeah, and it's Ronda Rousey, and she's tapping everybody out, and then she taps out Misha Tate with that arm bar. Just, uh, I mean, people, Ronda Rousey's a star. She started in Strike Force, so right. that's huge event. Huge, Absolutely. huge impact on MMA. Absolutely. All right, the uh, penultimate event that we'll mention here, Strikeforce Barnett versus Cormier marked the birth. Speaking of guys that, that really got made their bones in, in Strikeforce, although he did fight a couple times before he got there, Daniel Cormier, DC, uh, two-time Olympian, went from the heavyweight Grand Prix alternate or one of the alternates to winning the whole thing convincingly against a former UFC heavyweight champion and Josh Barnett. Uh, so this was this was really the, you know, kind of the coming out party for, for Daniel Cormier and proved that this guy was a marketable star and he not just beat Josh Barnett, but he beat him. I mean, he whooped up on him. He suplexed him. Uh, it was a, a pretty amazing performance on DC's part, and it really showed that, hey, this is a guy to pay attention to. We also, on the same card, saw the conclusion of the trilogy of fights between Josh Thompson and Gilbert Melendez with El Nino coming out. I had two to one with the Strike Force lightweight title around his waist. I spoke with both Gil and Josh uh, for an, an interview a, a month or so ago, and they they both still disagree on who won this third fight. It was super, super close. And uh, I, I, me and Scott Coker talk a little bit about this this rivalry during his interview as well. But uh, this was a big event. This was a, a big deal. And in some ways, kind of the last gasp for Strike Force. Gilbert Melendez won that fight. So don't let Josh oh, yeah. Thompson even, tell even, you even you and I, because I, I kind of <laughs> lean more towards Josh. I it's it's I, I don't want to say that Josh Thompson you know, I unequivocally won that fight. I mean, it, it, I don't believe that. Like, it really could have gone either way. But rewatching it, I kind of wish I didn't know who had won because, you know, it kind of, I, I, I don't know. But I, I, I kind of felt like Josh won the fight, but it was just so close. And, and again, you and I disagree. Josh and Gil disagree. I mean, I, I don't think anybody really agrees on it. Yeah, uh, but this was a good show because Daniel Cormier just coming out of nowhere, winning the tournament, and throwing around Josh Barnett, who's <laughs> no lightweight, let's put it that way, uh, like he's a rag doll, like he's just like a small child. And uh, that was just remarkable to see. I don't think anyone's ever treated Josh Barnett like that. So, uh, yeah, great, great. Not a really a great show in the history of Strike Force. But it did have very significant moments. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. And then the last highlight that we want to mention before Josh, you and I, uh, in a minute, we're going to go into our thoughts on on our final thoughts on Strike Force. But Strike Force Rockhold versus Kennedy was really kind of the last event that ha- that we want to that we'd say had highlights on it. Proved that Luke Rockhold could really get gritty. Uh, he simply outclassed a very very tough uh, and determined Tim Kennedy with the middleweight title on the line. And uh, so this was a, a this was a big deal. And then Luke was you know at this point. Uh, a star still a star on the rise even though he had the middleweight belt but you know ended up really kind of being a, a I mean obviously strike force was a launching pad for Luke to get into the UFC anyways where he also held uh, middleweight gold but and, and we've talked a lot about Luke but without the injuries I, you know maybe we're talking about the greatest middleweight of all time you know if without without all the injuries but 
Regardless, this was a big moment for him. But really, to me, a bigger moment was Nate Mar- Marquardt uppercutting Tyron Woodley and and stopping that undefeated record and capturing the welterweight belt at the same time. I mean, that's it's I to me it's the greatest knockout in Strikeforce history. But if it's not, if it's the you know the Lawler the Lawler one over Manhoff, this is number two for sure. It's it's definitely top two. Uh, but this was a you know ended up being kind of a last gasp as far as the the big time marquee type events that that strike force was that had become known for this is kind of the last one in a lot of ways yeah rockhold kennedy was like sean brett it was so good it was like yeah it was very technical both guys are superstars could have gone either way rockhold won uh but guys who were just impressive in a whole bunch of ways going all at it in this tactical fight and uh yeah luke rockhold at this time you're thinking gee this guy's gonna be the biggest star in the sport yeah he wasn't able to stay healthy to prove that and this guy named michael bisping really rocked him but uh we won't go into that (laughs) um and yeah uh to see marquardt knock out tyron woodley was just incredible one of the best knockouts i've seen in mma marquardt was a veteran he wasn't really supposed to win woodley was on the rise and uh knocked him out and i i to this day think it forever changed tyron woodley i know woodley knocked out Robbie Lawler to win later, but I, I I feel like Woodley was always tentative after this because of this knockout, a little bit gun shy. But yeah, I mean, I thought this was a a, a good card too. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that was our, our final highlight. Uh, in just a second, we're going to share our final thoughts on Strike Force. But before we do, Nate the Great Marcourt checks in with a, a short clip that talks a little bit about uh, his greatest highlight, which you and I just discussed. But without further ado, let's get to Nate. Hey, guys, this is Nate the Great Marcourt. And my favorite Strike Force moment was definitely winning the world welterweight title in 2012 against Tyrone Woodley. He was then undefeated and the fight was an all-out war. I was able to win by a vicious knockout in the fourth round. And this was actually one of the best finishes and fights of my career. All right, I appreciate Nate sharing those thoughts. It was short, but I, it was right to the point, and I appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, so those are really the big moments in, in Strike Force history. So, Josh, I'm going to kind of turn this over to you uh, to, to give your final thoughts on Strike Force, and then I'll, I'll share mine, and then we'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap things up after that. But, yeah, Josh, you know, kind of, again, putting all these almost two years into this and, and all the fights, all the hours of fights that we've watched and, and everything else, uh, what, what's kind of your takeaway in, uh, of Strike Force? What did Strike Force mean to you, and what, what do you want to share? Well, I want to thank you, Phil, first, because you put so much time and effort into this podcast. You're a true podcast professional. You take this seriously, whether, you know, no matter how many listeners we have, you put class into every one of these and your research you've done has been impeccable i just kind of come on and talk and do off memory and do a little bit of what i do but uh you are a high level podcaster and i want to thank you for including me on this journey i want to say strike force will always be my favorite mma promotion it was better than the ufc for me because for a few reasons the production values the focus on the fighters and the voice of Strike Force, the 
greatest MMA play-by-play person ever, Mauro Ranallo. I mean, he's so good. And to me, I can't think of Strikeforce without thinking of him. Um, this was a time in my life when I got to work for Strikeforce. I got to access these fighters and interview people like Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, Misha Tate, Tim Kennedy, King Mo, Gegard Mousasi, Lyle Fancy Pants Beer Bum, uh, your, yeah. your, your guy, Lorenz, your, Lorenz Larkin, Frank Shamrock, Kung Lee, Gilbert Melendez, Josh Thompson, Robbie Lawler, and so many other fighters that I was able to, to interview and talk to and develop this appreciation for. Um, you know, for a while, Strikeforce put a lot of pressure on the UFC. They were legitimate challengers of them for a, a moment in time. If it wasn't for Scott Coker and Strikeforce, we would not have Ronda Rousey and women's MMA. We talk about Carano and Cyborg and then Ronda later. Strikeforce made a huge difference in the future of MMA because they took risks. And even though they didn't make as much money, obviously, as the UFC did or become this international brand, Strikeforce opened the door for so many fighters who eventually became world champions in the UFC. They were able to take a chance on these people that the UFC was not willing to take a chance on. And then eventually, look at Daniel Cormier, became one of the greatest MMA fighters and UFC fighters of all time. To me, Strikeforce will always be the little promotion out of San Jose that made it big for a moment and paved the way for what we experience and see in MMA today. And every MMA fan, whether they know it or believe it, can thank Scott Coker and Strikeforce for creating this sport that we love, that we watch, that we appreciate, this incredible sport that MMA is today. Oh, very well said. Uh, I'm not even going to try to challenge that. Uh, I will say that you know a lot of the names you mentioned, Frank, Kung, Gilbert, uh, Josh, Tim, I mean, a, a bunch of them took the time to come on this show. And I'm really appreciative of that, appreciative of that. And I think it kind of uh, shows or exhibits the spirit of Strike Force and Scott Coker, you know, the, just try to help others and try to, you know, remember others. And I, I just, I think it was kind of the spirit of Strike Force. And so many of these fighters talked about this being their favorite time, you know, the favorite, uh, their favorite time of the, their career and just what a great time it was and how much they miss it and how fun it was and, and all of that. And it was the time when, when MMA was the most fun, you know? And, and so I think there's a, you know, I think everything you said was true. There's a lot of truth in there. And, and I, I appreciate that for me, you know, strike force will, will always be my favorite MMA promotion in terms of, uh, my, my, my feelings towards it. I mean, pride was my favorite promotion because they just put on these massive events and crazy fights. And that's where I was introduced to guys like Fedor Emelianenko. I mean, that, so pride really is my favorite promotion in terms of, of those things. But as far as like my, like, you know, my hometown of a promotion, it's Strikeforce. They were my hometown promotion. You know, they were, they, they were 
birthed in San Jose, which is, you know, I grew up in and around San Jose. And so it was a, a big deal for me as well. And then to be able to, you know, spend some time working for them. I mean, having Scott Coker sit down with me at a, 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 a bagel shop in the Willow Glen neighborhood of San Jose and show me that he's going to be doing this heavyweight Grand Prix and, you know, being able to kind of talk about what they were doing. I, I just, I wish I was as mature then as I am now, because I would have taken so much more advantage of that. And I would have tried to do more for the promotion, but man, I, I just strike force will always have a, a very cherished, cherished position in history. And there's no doubt about that. And I've really enjoyed going through all this with you, Josh, it's been a lot of work, as you mentioned, but uh, it's been a lot of fun. And it's something I'm very proud of, because this is something that nobody else has done. No one else it, out of the 7 billion people in the world, Josh, you and I are the only ones that can say that we have gone through every single strike force, you know, main, uh, main card event and, and, and have watched all of those and have, you know, told the story of strike force to this level. No one else has done that. And so I'm very proud of this. I don't care if, you know, if it never blows up and becomes a, you know, gets the appreciation that I think it deserves, you and I know what this is and what it's meant. And, and some of the names that we've mentioned, they showed their appreciation, appreciation by, you know, spending their time with us. And, I, and I'm just very appreciative of all that. So uh, with that, you know, I, I want to close this out. I mentioned Scott Coker. We, I, I spent about 20 minutes on the phone with him uh, or on zoom with him earlier. And we talked through this and he, I, I just don't think that there's a more fitting way, a more apropos way to, to close this thing out and let Scott talk about kind of the genesis of strike force, his favorite fights, you know, some of the fighters that came through and all of that. So I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, but, but again, Josh, thank you so much. I wish, I feel like I should say so much more, but, uh, but I, I think we've, uh, <laughs> I think we've said it all. Uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset listeners. I hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy. And with that, we're going to toss it over to my discussion with Scott, but hopefully we'll see you on down the road. All right. I can't think of a better way to wrap this up than the man who started it all alongside uh, so many others, but the guy that was behind all of it, Scott Coker, former, I, I mean, what, what was your head? Of, I mean, promoter, president, head of strike force. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I was, I was, I was actually the founder and owner of strike force. Right. Is right. what it was. And then, uh, and then when I took partners in, in the Silicon Valley sports entertainment group, that's when I actually took on a partner. And that was really when we went to go buy Pro Elite because we wanted, you know, we didn't, I needed to uh, raise capital to go buy Pro Elite and get Fedor's contract in order. And, you know, we needed to have, uh, you know, some, some funds. And so uh, that's when the company uh, took on a partner. But, um, you know, Strikeforce was an MMA company in 06. But before that, it was kickboxing. a kickboxing league for, you know, mm-hmm. probably 20 years before that. So All right. yeah, quite well, a can- run. A lot of people don't re- don't remember that. Or they just think that Strikeforce came along as an MMA company. But again, you know, it was it was a kickbox company for a long, long time uh, before that. And, you know, ISKA and all those, you know, right. all, all those different things. Uh, so uh, you gave the first interview when we started this podcast back in July of 2020. Again, doing the last one. I can't think of a better, more fitting way to close it out. Uh, unfortunately, you know, as we kind of went through all the events and you could see once Zufa made the acquisition that, you know, things really began to change at that point and it's just you know whether it's pro wrestling or mma when one company purchases another they tend to eventually swallow them up it's just kind of the way that you know that it goes so going into kind of that that you know the final event uh where you know what were your mixed feelings what were you feeling going into that final marquardt versus safadine event you you know it had been rumored there was going to be up to four title fights and 
you know, there were questions about how injured certain people were because, you know, they wanted to protect <laughs> themselves going into the UFC. We won't get into, get into all of that, but yeah. uh, what kind of, what were your feelings? Bittersweet? How would yeah. you describe it? Yeah, I think it was a, it was a sad day for me, honestly, because it was something that uh, I loved and uh, you know, business-wise things, you know, ended up the way they did. And, uh, and, you know, I had a partner and so we had to respect the partner's, you know, investment and opportunities. But um, that's, that's what I learned from this whole lesson is be careful who your partners are as great, <laughs> as great as they were partners that they were, you know, it's like, they didn't see the long-term vision. And, and I think that I did. And so it just didn't work out because I think that, uh, you know, if, if we had the right partnership group, you know, thinking about the long-term uh, but look, it was a, it was a great a return for them. It was, uh, you know, something that, you know, these, co this company buys and sells companies all day long. And so they're in Silicon Valley buying and selling, you know, their entities. And so that's, that's how they looked at it. And I looked at it like, well, you know, this is something that's like my baby. You can't right. just, you know, <laughs> come, come to me and say, you want to sell it, you know, but, um, um, listen, it was just meant to be, and it's something I'm really proud of. And I think that, uh, you know, I learned a lot in that whole, you know, I would, I would say it was probably about, a, you know, from 2006 to 2011. So really it was uh, a five-year run that I, I learned a lot. And, uh, you know, the acquisition of Pro Elite, I learned a bunch getting, getting, getting all the Pro Elite and the Showtime CBS contracts took us to a whole different level. And so, you know, it was a, uh, it was a game changer for the company. Uh, but something I'm really proud of is, is, you know, when you think about all the athletes that we delivered mm -hmm. right into the into the space, and I'm not talking about guys that came into the company that had fights because of uh, the acquisition of Pro Lead. I'm talking about from ground zero. Yeah. You know, and I and I think that's something that that I bring to the table today is you know star star identification and star building. It's something we're really good at building a roster from the ground up. I, I think it's something we're really good at, probably better than everybody else. And we're still doing it today here at Bellator. I yeah. mean, it's, you know, I feel like I, I have an opportunity to strike, like I used to call Bellator Strike Force 2.0, you know, <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, now we have a great roster here and it's, but it all started from the formula that I learned really from the Strike Force days. Well, it's, I mean, you mentioned the fighters. I mean, uh, you know, Daniel Cormier, Luke Rockhold, Kung Lee, uh, you know, Nick Diaz was a commodity beforehand, obviously, but really found his, you know, his footing and strike force. There's so many guys that came through that, that again, that you built up and it's, and the fact that you could see how many Ronda Rousey, obviously to see, you know, Misha Tate, all these fighters yeah. that came, Chris Cyborg that came through strike force and went on to be successful elsewhere. Uh, you know, it just proves, yeah. Being able to ID the, you know, the right talent. And another mm -hmm. thing that strike force will always get credit for is giving platform to the ladies, you know, that, that, you know, Dana White had said, I will never, you know, I'll never do women's MMA. And then he starts to see, you know, cyborg and there's, you know, kind of some back and forth there, but then he meets Ronda Rousey and everything gets changed. And again, if, if Scott Coker and strike force don't give women's MMA you know, through Corano versus Cyborg and, and then some of the other ladies, Sarah Kaufman, that type of platform, MMA history is different. So you definitely yeah, need totally. your mark, you know. Thank so. you. Yeah, and, and I'll just say to cap that off, it's like, you know, the Corano Cyborg fight was the game changer for female MMA, if you think about it, because that was the one that was the first female main event on any kind of platform, you yep. know. And so, and so that was a game changer. And I'm sure, you know, the UFC was watching going, Oh, they sell 16,000 seats right, for, right. you know, and did a sizable gate and, 
great business, great ratings. So ratings. There, there is a business here. And when I think about the the two people that I think about, I think about Gilbert Melendez is a guy that came up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Jorge Masvidal is a guy yeah, that we yeah, had. Yeah. Amanda Nunez yep. is somebody that came Daughter up through the ranks. There. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, we had a nice run with Josh Thompson as well, but um, also T Wood. T Wood's a guy that came up from zero fights straight out of wrestling. All right. You know, and, and we built up. And I think that's something that, you know, I think that's why you see the continued growth of Bellator, you know, is, 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 is we're implementing the same formula. It takes time to develop an AJ McKee, an Aaron Pico, a Cotton, you know, uh, let's say, you know, like some of the, the guys that we signed from early on. To, to really build, be the groundswell. Uh, I mean, it was, it was really been spectacular to see the next group develop here. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that's something, again, like I learned in Strike Force is like identifying these fighters and then, and then going for it. But the female fights, Toronto Cyborg, that was a game changer for all female fighters. Yeah. And uh, it, was, uh, it was quite an event. And the one thing I will say about Gina is this, when I was negotiating with her manager, they, he said, we, we only want to fight Cyborg. And I was trying to tell them, no, no, you want to get a tune-up fight first. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, like I was thinking, get a couple tune-up fights first, right. honestly. Yeah. And yeah. I'll, I'll never forget, it. it was a guy named Matt Walker who was representing her. And he said, no, I talked to Gina and she wants to fight Cyborg. She wants to test herself. And that's something that she'll get motivated for, right? To, you know, to train and fight. And, uh, and you know, it, it was a, a big, big event. And it didn't work out for Gina. No, but say it didn't go you, man, so well for her. <laughs> yeah. No, but you know, think about this as a martial artist, right? You, you know, she was said, I'm going to, I want to test myself and I want to mm-hmm. test what I, my skills against her. And there are times in that fight where I think Gina w- was on top of her and could have started short throwing some of them bombs, yeah. but let her up. Right. I think yep. that, uh, you know, there, there was, there was some moments of time for her in that fight, Yeah. but cyborg, cyborg, cyborg. I mean, yeah. you know, she's a killer, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but you know, it, it made people really realize, like, hey, the female fights are here to stay. Yeah, it, it, again, it's part of Strike Force's legacy, you know, one hundred percent. And so, as we were, Josh, my my co-host, and I were, you know, walking through all these events, and we're actually, as you and I are recording this, Josh and I are going to record the final episode tonight. And we're walking through uh, the highlights uh, of the promotion, and there were just so many that just good memories that jumped out from the return of the legend, Frank Shamrock and how the early days of strike force were really built on, on his star power, on his, his shoulders, you know, the Bay area, Frank is, you know, it's my, where I'm from that, that he's an absolute legend there. And then, you know, this guy Kung Lee, who I'd been hearing about, you know, and we see the rise of Kung and then again, Nick, and you see kind of the passing of the torch from Frank to Kung. And then, the torch kind of came back to him and he gave it, then he had to give it to Nick, Nick Diaz and Nick Diaz. <laughs> yeah. And then the, you know, the, the, the pro elite assets and you start, you guys see guys like Jake Shields come in and then of course mm-hmm. the Fedor signing and you know, the, the one guy that Dana could never sign that, you know, Scott, you were able to sign and, and we saw, unfortunately didn't see the run in strike force that we would have liked to have seen. And he broke my heart more than once uh, within the, the confines of the, of the hexagon, but just so many good, good memories. So I just, as we kind of, close this up is there are there any memories that uh, you know that first event I, it was i mean 18,000 people at the shark tank and you know frank you see shamrock versus gracie and it's hard to top that just for and you and i discussed that in our first interview a couple of years back and you know the the how a uh, cowboy Cerrone helped drive the the cage yeah. out and like yeah. all, all the amazing. crazy Right. All the craziness, yeah. crazy Bob and Javier yeah. and everybody that got came together to make that happen. But are there yeah. any other memories or any other highlights that really jump out of your mind as far as like, man, if I if you take a few minutes and look back 
what kind of jumps out is at, at you as like, man, that was a good feeling or that was awesome. Or, you know, that, that worked out. Is there anything that jumps? I mean, to I, I think we had a lot of mega fights, you know, I mean, it's people don't remember, but Alistair Aubrey versus Vito Belfort was our second fight. Right. You know, and Which that was a fight that I, not, not one that I'd ever want to see again, unfortunately, no, no, it, it wasn't, but it, wasn't it was a, a big, exciting fight, but it was a but big, it, value, a big deal. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we had 14, 15,000 people there. And, um, but when I think about the, the past of strike force, I think about three fights. I think about, we already talked about the Chrono cyborg fight and then, and how, you know, important that was to the female fighting, uh, industry and the acceptance of it. And I think you and I talked about the athletic commission, they wouldn't allow mm-hmm. five, five minute rounds. They had to do three, three minute rounds in the very beginning. It took two years for us to push through legislation to finally get to five, five and, Corona Cyborg was the first five, five minute rounds uh, fight allowed. And so that was the pivot point. The very first fight, obviously, walking to walk in that stadium with 1,800, I mean, 18,265 people, it, it was spectacular, you know, and, and it was something I'll never forget. There's two of the fights that really, um, one is Fader when he lost to Fabrizio Verdum. Yeah. <laughs> how quiet, how yeah. quiet it got in there. <laughs> I mean, it just got quiet. I, I, you know? I called and, it a quiet roar because it was just like there was a buzz, but it just got real quiet. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Fedor, you know, he was uh, just such a, like, you know, has that charisma and that so that X factor and just something about him, you know, his whole career. But, you know, when I looked over at Vadim, I'll never forget it. You know, I'm like, nice job, buddy, because <laughs> he and I were not getting along that well because, you know, doing co-pros is tough. And I felt like, he, you know, he thought we were adversaries and, and at the end, we probably were adversaries at the very end of, of this whole thing. But but the fight that I'll never forget is walking in the stadium when Frank fought Kung. Didn't work out for Frank. Frank was the biggest star by far, as far as MMA goes, right? right. And uh, but the the noise and the volume of like that arena, I was just like, wow! I've never I've never experienced something like this before that, or ever even since that. You know, the Bay, it's like a Bay Area rivalry, yeah. but Frank was a big star worldwide. Kung was a big star in like kickboxing and Sanda, Sanso style uh, and Sambo. And so I just remember like four or 5,000 Kung Lee flags. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and really, the Vietnamese we, flags, yeah. That's right. And, and you know, we did, we, we, we separated the audience. So we said, okay, we don't want any fights in the stands, right? So we <laughs> sold Kung's side on this side, Frank's side on this side. So they, the, the fans didn't have to intermingle. Like if you're a fan of Kung, you're over here. If you're a fan of Frank's over here, but again, I think we had, you know, 16,000 people in the building yep. for that yep. fight. Yep. And it was, I mean, electric and uh, people, people didn't know what Kunk could do. It didn't work out for Frank, but man, what, what a, what a big star Frank, you know, uh, is and a legend now, but back when he was fighting, man, I don't know if people forgot about, you know, what it was like, but when he fought, it was like everything just stopped. You know, he was such a big star. When yeah. he fought Tito, everything stopped. You're right. a fan. Yeah, everything stopped. Right? right. He's just one of those guys. And I mean, hang around with Frank when he lived here. You couldn't go anywhere, right? Yeah, everybody People knew he were was just tripping yeah. out, tri- tripping out on him like he, you know, he, he was a rock star, right? right? So you know, I'm so thankful to Frank because he gave really me the opportunity. Because when I got the first license from the state, I called him. I said Frank, and I knew him because he was at AK and Javier. You know, like we're all friends and. And uh, I said, hey, you know, listen, I, I got the first license. I, I really want you to fight in it because it's going to be historical. You know, we had beat the UFC to, to the punch here because they were trying to get the license. Everybody was trying to get the license at that All time. Right. And I told, I told the commissioner, I don't want to mention his name, but I told him, I said, you got to give it to us. Like, we, we've been here for 22 years already. 
you can't give it to somebody else and have their first license, you know, you got to give it to us. And so they did. And I wanted to do something that was just magical. And, you know, at that time, you know, it was like the wild, wild west. It wasn't like MMA was on TV everywhere. It right. was on right. the ultimate fighter was on. And I think that was it. It that wasn't was on much it. Showtime, yeah. CBS. It wasn't yeah. on NBC. It wasn't on Fox at the time. It was basically on, on, uh, on Spike TV at the yeah, time. And that was that's it. pretty much it. Yep. And so we had no TV deal. I felt lucky that uh, we worked out a deal where somebody shot all those old fights in HD and we had it, you know, recorded and, and, uh, and we had it uh, voiceover. We had the voice team there. And so, you know, we, we filmed all of them. Uh, luckily, we filmed all the fights. So we have, you know, we amassed a great library over there. Uh, but, you know, to me, that those were the four fights that I really think, you know, made, made the company. Yeah. I, and I, I have to mention the, uh, the Thompson Melendez trilogy, you know, I, I mean, it was just three fantastic fights and I had, and you're not aware of this, but I had uh, both of them on the podcast together uh, about a month ago and they're still like, they're friendly, but we talked about that third fight and they both still think that they, the other won the fight. And but that was close. a big deal too. Super it, close. Oh. It really? I honestly, I felt like Josh, I thought Josh edged it, but it was, like so so close so i gotta tell you real quick though so we're talking about this and we're on camera you know it's a podcast but we're on camera and uh all of a sudden gil like lifts it and he puts the title on his shoulder <laughs> for josh to see <laughs> and we just all just <laughs> broke up laughing and just it was it was awesome and they're talking about uh, you know, possibly doing a, a fourth in, in grappling, you know, like going, like Josh has said, I'm done getting punched in the head. Gilbert was like, let's box. And Josh was like, Nope, but I'll grapple you. So we, I mean, Hey, we could see any Josh said, well, you bring that belt with you. <laughs> so they're still <laughs> not going to be MMA, but they're still, uh, we, we could see a yeah. fourth installment there, but obviously a very important, uh, you oh, know, yeah. trilogy within strike forces history too. I think we'd be remiss not to mention no, that, that. That's probably some of the greatest fights yeah. strike force were those yeah. fights there yeah it, yeah it was spectacular they didn't and, draw uh, they didn't draw at the level of frank or kung that yeah. sort of thing mm -hmm. but they were still just as far as the quality of the fights and the mm -hmm. and showing that the lighter weights could you know move the needle maybe again not not at the extent yeah. of like the middles to higher but still move the needle and be a big deal i you know yeah it, it definitely did that so and you know there's there's a couple of names i gotta i gotta bring up one is I think Nate Diaz had his first fight with us. Yeah, he. Right? Um, I it was so Kane had his first fight with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Diaz. I think it was his third fight, but it was very, okay, very. It was it. regionals, and it was his first major yeah. fight. Yeah, and then and also, um, it wasn't his first fight, but we we had a very young Giger Musashi here. Right, right, right. right very right. young, nineteen, twenty years old. I saw yeah. him fight in Japan and Dream, and uh, he knocked out. Um, Jacare, Jacare, the upkick. Right. Right, and I said, kick, "Oh, yeah. I got, I got to sign this guy." And he came on board. But if you look at our roster, man, it was fantastic. It was yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, it's like one of the best rosters ever. And uh, I'm really, I'm really proud of that. And those guys all got to grow, and the ladies all got to grow and and develop their careers. And and I think that you know we we're a big, big part of, let's say, the top fighters in MMA in the last, let's say, 12, 12 years. You know, a lot of them came from Strikeforce, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. And so think about all the great fights that wouldn't have happened if we didn't, if we didn't do what we did. Right. And you still, you know, Chris, Chris Cyborg, still your, your champion, Gegard, still your champion. So strike force, you know, I, by the way, Gegard's only 36. I mean, like, I know, he's, still, crazy. he's like, he's been fighting next year. It'll be 20 years for him. We were just talking about that. And, and he's still, you know, yeah. two time middleweight champ and still killing it. So there's, 
there's, you know, the legacy lives on. It, it gets sadder as time goes by, as more of these guys start to retire. Jacare hung them up last year and, you know, some of these guys, but they're still Lorenz Larkin, Derek Brunson. There's still a bunch of guys in both Bellator and the UFC that are still plugging away and, and still, you know, still doing well. So, uh, but Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. This was really, again, a very fitting way to, to end this. I appreciate your support uh, during the podcast and, and appreciate all your insight and everything else that you, you've done. Uh, so we appreciate it, but thank you, Scott, for being on the show one more time. Hey man, listen, this is, this is a love of mine. I love this company and I'm glad that it's continuing to carry on its legacy, which it deserves. And uh, like I said, Bellator's Strikeforce 2.0 and then 3.0. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to keep fulfilling that dream here. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.